Esther's moment has come as she risks death on behalf of her people, before the enemy Haman plots more evil upon Mordecai the Jew. On The Bible Brief. Want more Bible learning content like this? Sign up for our newsletter and follow us on social media. Links are in the show notes. There are moments in life that reveal a person. They are a culmination of events and circumstances that come to a particular moment when question becomes answer, when bud becomes bloom, when what a person should be becomes what that person is. Many might call these moments that define us, but they are really moments that reveal us. The courageous don't become that way in the moment of crisis, nor does any virtue form immediately when it's needed. Instead, what's revealed in the moment of need is what's been cultivated. We all might think of ourselves as courageous or faithful or honest. We like to think that we would stand up to the great evils of our day when they present themselves. But here's the thing. When we haven't cultivated those virtues, When we haven't stood up to minor evils, we won't stand up to the major ones. Uncultivated virtue is a seed never watered, an idea instead of a reality, and a wish instead of a promise. But it's the moment that reveals, the moment where the cultivation of the past meets the uncertainty of the future, where a single decision reveals everything that the past left obscure. And for Esther, Queen of Persia, her moment has come. Esther knew the rule. Don't approach the king unless he summons you. Yes, she was the queen, and yes, she was his favorite among all the women that he'd seen. But she still was one of his subjects. She had to follow the law like everyone else. To break the law, would be to invite death. There was, however, one exception to the law, an exception upon which Esther's very life would depend. If, perhaps, she were to approach the king without being summoned, and if the king were to hold out his royal scepter to her in acceptance, only then could she be spared death. Only then could she approach the king and yet live. It all started days ago when Esther got word that Mordecai was mourning loudly outside the king's gate in the city of Susa, and Esther had no idea why. Soon, though, through a trusted messenger, Mordecai told her all that had happened. Haman had convinced the king to issue an edict that would mean Jewish devastation. On a day coming, the edict said that all the people in all the provinces of the empire were to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate any and all Jews. This irrevocable edict had been issued. All the Jews were in mourning, and Mordecai was mourning with them. Yet he did have a hope. There was a Jew high in society, one who had royal access in the king's ear. It was none other than the queen, Esther herself. And through the messenger, Mordecai tells Esther that she must go beg for the king's favor on behalf of her people. But she replies like this, 
All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law, to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out his golden scepter that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these thirty days. She says that it's been a month since she was called to the king, and she can't approach without being summoned. In a way, she says, my hands are tied unless the king summons me. But her adopted father says this in response. Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come into the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told the messenger to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. The secret Jewess, the queen of the empire, was about to risk death. Her faithful Mordecai had raised her, cultivated her courage, and helped her form her character for a moment he never knew would come. She had cultivated a life of prayer and reverence to God, seeking His favor and pleading for strength. And now the whole community of Jews would be in solidarity with Esther as they prayed and fasted in preparation for her moment of peril. Surely, many prayed that she would actually go through with it, forsaking the comfort of the palace in favor of identification with her people. Her moment was coming. On the third day of the fast, she put on her queenly robes and surely trembled at what the day would bring. The most powerful man in the world would have her life in the balance. And she, a woman he'd picked from obscurity, would approach him in hope of living another day. More importantly though, she'd approach him with hopes for her people, living beyond that horrible day planned for their annihilation. We read this in Esther chapter 5. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace, in front of the king's quarters, while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room, opposite the entrance to the palace. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight, and he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. And the king said to her, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given you, even to the half of my kingdom. You can imagine the sense of relief that washed across the queen. Rather than condemn her to death, the king answered with tenderness and respect, calling her not merely Esther, but Queen Esther. And her response is not what we'd expect. She said, If it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king. Then the king said, Bring Haman quickly so that we may do as Esther has asked. So the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared. And as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to Esther, What is your wish? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. 
Then Esther answered, My wish and my request is, If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my wish and to fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. Esther seems to be just squandering her opportunity with the king. He's spared her life. He's come to dinner with perhaps his closest advisor, Haman. And with all these requests, Esther just makes another one. She wants to have another dinner with the two men on the following night. She does have a game plan here, though. She's not merely having fun hosting dinner parties. No, through her actions, she's showing the king just how important it is that he grant her eventual request. She's keeping him in the dark temporarily, so that when he finally finds out, he'll understand the gravity of her need. She's not merely asking the king to buy her a new wardrobe. She's asking the king to spare her entire Jewish nation. And she's only got one shot. Haman, for his part, leaves this dinner in chipper spirits. He feels utterly self-important, and that night, after bragging to his friends and family about his exclusive dinner, he realizes that the one thing that he really wants that would cap off his happiness would be to see Mordecai the Jew hanged on the gallows. Mordecai, who wouldn't bow down to him, would instead be hanged by him. And Haman commands that very night for the construction to commence. Interestingly enough, later that evening, King Ahasuerus is having an awful time sleeping, probably due to the mysterious actions of his queen. He knows that she has a big request for him, and sleep just won't find its way into his mind. So he does perhaps what many of us would do in that situation. He pops open a history book to try to lull him to sleep. We read this in chapter 6. On that night the king could not sleep, and he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written how Mordecai had told about two of the king's servants who guarded the threshold and had sought to assassinate King Ahasuerus. And the king said, What honor or distinction has been bestowed upon Mordecai for this? The king's young men who attended him said, Nothing has been done for him. And the king said, Who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's young men told him, Haman is there, standing in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. So Haman came in, and the king said to him, What should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? And Haman said to himself, Whom would the king delight to honor more than me? So Haman begins to tell the king all the things that Ahasuerus should do to honor, well, presumably him. But as soon as he's finished, the king says this, Hurry, take the robes and the horses, just as you have said, and do so to Mordecai the Jew who sits at the king's gate. Leave nothing out that you have mentioned. So Haman took the robes and the horse and dressed Mordecai and led him through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house, mourning with his head covered. And his wife says to him, If Mordecai before whom you have begun to fall is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, 
but will surely fall before him. This plot of Haman's to kill Mordecai and to kill all the Jews appears to have a shaky foundation. But before Haman can finish reeling from the events of the day, where Mordecai was honored instead of being hanged on the gallows, some of the king's servants arrived to bring Haman to Esther's feast for this second night in a row. So the king and Haman went in to feast with Queen Esther. And on the second day, as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to Esther, What is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be granted me for my wish and my people for my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, I would have been silent, for our affliction is not to be compared with the loss to the king. Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther, Who is he, and where is he who has dared to do this? And Esther said, A foe and an enemy, this wicked Haman. The king is instantly furious and leaves the room to vent. But he's made even more furious when he comes back to see Haman aggressively begging Esther for his life. Haman, in his apparent assault of the queen, quickly seals his own fate, and he is hanged by the king for his crimes. Hanged as it turns out, on the very gallows that he had constructed for Mordecai. Moreover, Mordecai is brought before the king and elevated to the position that Haman had formerly occupied. Suddenly, at a dinner party, the great reversal of the Book of Esther has begun. But the biggest problem still remains. The irrevocable edict to kill all the Jews is still in place. And now they had to do something about it. While King Ahasuerus appears to see the mistake he made in trusting Haman, and knowing that Mordecai has been loyal in the past, he gives Mordecai authority to author a new edict to all the provinces. And the new edict says this, The Jews in every city can gather and defend their lives against any who might attack them. They can destroy, kill, and annihilate any armed force who would attack them and plunder their goods. The very same edict issued against the Jews was now issued in their favor. With the king's permission, they were to arm themselves and defend their lives against any who would attempt to attack them on that day that had been set by the initial edict. The Jews now had the backing of the king of Persia. And next we read this. Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal robes of blue and white, with a great golden crown and a robe of fine linen and purple, and the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. The Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. And in every province and in every city wherever the king's command and his edict reached, there was gladness and joy among the Jews, a feast and a holiday. And many of the peoples of the country declared themselves Jews, for the fear of the Jews had fallen on them. Eventually, the day of reckoning finally came. And the Jews came out, having defeated all the enemies who wanted to see them dead. The day of anti-Semitism became the day of ultimate Jewish victory in Persia. And to cap it off, 
all the sons of Haman who attempted to attack the Jews in Susa instead found themselves hanged on the gallows like their father. The Jews were victorious, and the great reversal was complete. The beautiful Jewess nobody became the queen of an empire. The faithful adoptive father became the king second in command. The persecuted people became the celebratory victors. And in all this, the enemies that looked forward to purging the empire of Jews were destroyed themselves. The Jews were saved, all because of a faithful woman, helped along by her wise adoptive father rising to the moment that revealed her character. She was courageous in the face of death. She was passionate in the defense of her people. She didn't shrink back when she'd won the favor of the king. Esther was revealed in her moment of trial, and thousands of years later we hear of this testament to her courage. Courage surely bolstered through the power of her God to whom she prayed. Rising to the moment takes cultivation, and we would be wise to learn from Esther. If we are to stand in the moment of trial, we must begin standing in all the small moments leading to it. If we're to face judgment with boldness, we must face God in humble prayer. If we're to carry a cross, we must have friends to share the burden. But most of all, in the face of death, we need to depend upon God for a resolve that can't be broken. A resolve that only comes when the fear of death fades into a zeal for life. Esther had zeal for the life of her people, and her character was revealed in a pivotal moment. But suppose your moment comes today. What will your moment reveal? What have you been cultivating? The Bible Brief is brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation, dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2023